This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Canada and dozens of other countries have mounted efforts to confront and account for atrocities committed against their own people. The United States has yet to form an official truth and reconciliation process to address the trauma of Indian boarding schools. The state of Maine and a nonprofit group in Michigan are doing their part to promote healing for abuses suffered by Native children. We'll look into local efforts to address past wrongs to promote a better future. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. On the 110th anniversary of Sac and Fox and Potawatomi athlete Jim Thorpe's July 15, 1912 Olympic win in the decathlon in Sweden, the International Olympic Committee has reinstated Thorpe as a sole champion. Thorpe brought home two gold medals for the U.S. in the 1912 Olympic Games, but was later stripped of his wins for playing minor league baseball prior to the Summer Games. The committee declared he broke amateurism rules in place at the time. In 1982, replica gold medals were given to the Thorpe family, designating him co-champion. But for years, his family and advocates urged the committee to reinstate Thorpe as a sole champion, saying he dominated the events. Today, they say an injustice has finally been corrected. His granddaughter, Anita Thorpe, says it's great to hear the words officially spoken that Jim Thorpe is the sole winner. And it's a glorious time of celebration for his family, friends and supporters. The organization Bright Path Strong and Tribes played a part in advocating for the reinstatement. Bright Path Strong co-founder Nedra Darling says the truth has been upheld and there's no confusion about the most remarkable athlete in history. In 2020, the organization launched a campaign to call on the Olympic Committee for the reinstatement, which included an online petition. Wisconsin officials are eyeing the removal of more sites with derogatory names as a federal task force narrows down replacement terms for 28 geographic features in the state. Danielle Kading has more. Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Interior asked for public input on new names for 664 sites nationwide that use an indigenous slur for women. Those sites include 28 creeks, rivers, lakes, and valleys in Wisconsin. Now tribal liaison Chris Goodwill with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources Resources says they're putting together another list of names. They're going to probably complete the first phase before they start the second one, but we know that it's coming. That is a process where we can submit other names that we consider derogatory and suggesting that they be changed. As an Indigenous woman, Goodwill says replacing those names means a great deal to her. I don't want an Indigenous child seeing that and making them feel that they're not a part of this um, community in the state of Wisconsin because they are. A federal task force will recommend replacement names for each site on July 25th. The U.S. Board on Geographic Names is set to make a final decision in September. For National Native News, I'm Danielle Kading. Native women's advocates met in Washington, D.C. this week to address violence against women. Advocates from the U.S., Canada, and Mexico took part in two days of meetings for the fourth convening of the Trilateral Working Group on Violence Against Indigenous Women and Girls. The Department of the Interior hosted this year's gathering on behalf of the U.S. government. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland discussed work to address missing and murdered Indigenous people, including the agency's creation of the Missing and Murdered Unit to pursue unsolved cases. 
cases. Holland also highlighted the Not Invisible Act, which established a joint commission with the Justice Department to work on reducing violent crime in Indian country. Athletes are taking part in the World Eskimo Indian Olympics, or WIO, underway in Fairbanks, Alaska. The traditional games display preparedness needed for survival, requiring strength, agility, and endurance. Live coverage can be found through Saturday on WIO's Facebook page. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org slash veterans who support this show. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy filling in for Sean Spruce. A Michigan nonprofit is taking on the task of forming a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to help heal from past Indian boarding school abuses. A group uh, in Maine previously mounted its own effort to help move on from Native child welfare traumas. Both are smaller scale attempts to confront and process past abuses in the absence of a formal federal system to do so. At the same time, the U.S. is experiencing a racial reckoning, and some human rights advocates are saying it's well past time for an American truth and reconciliation movement. <clears throat> Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland is uh, in the beginning stages of her federal Indian boarding school initiative, which only goes part of the way towards addressing past trauma. Dozens of other countries, including Canada, have formed commissions that have helped their people understand past wrongs and move forward. Do you think a movement forward facilitated by an official American Truth and Reconciliation Commission would be the best for Native America? Give us a call and join our conversation today. We are at 1-800-996-2848 and tell us about the truth and reconciliation work being done in your Native community. We're also at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Tulalip, Washington is Teresa Sheldon. She's the Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. She's Tulalip and uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Teresa. Thank you for having me. 
thank you for joining us. So, uh, first question here: uh, What what benefit can come? Sorry, <laughs> what benefit can come from what we know as a truth and reconciliation process for something like boarding school abuses, and, and these many years later? Oh well, thank you for the question. That's uh, that's the big one, right? So, really, the benefit that is what does it look like for a government to acknowledge genocide, admit to genocide, and address the genocide they committed? And so that's what we're, our call to action has. The National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition has been operating since 2012. And the whole intent is for um, what does reconciliation look like? What does accountability look like? What does healing and justice look like? And that's very different um, throughout Indian country and, and throughout the country being from survivors, from descendants, and from government officials. And so the real goal is to be able to address that, talk about it, acknowledge it, document it, tell the truth, and then where do you go from there? Okay. All right. So do you hear people asking for a formal truth and reconciliation process from the federal government? Absolutely. So Canada has been doing this work for generations. Um, we're slightly behind them. And, and really, NABS was created um, in conjunction with the work Canada was doing. And so right now, we have a bill in Congress. It's called S-2907, or H.R. 5444. And it's the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding School Policies Act. And this bill would address that. This bill would put together a commission. It would take three years. And that commission would have responsibilities for um, finding, doing a full inquiry into the assimilative policies of the United States um, boarding schools, examine the location of children, where are they, um, the ones that have been buried at or near boarding schools, document ongoing impacts from boarding schools that are still existent today, and locate church and government records and finding out what children went, where the children are, um, because we don't even have a full account of the number of children that have been impacted. Um, it's estimated 50% of boarding school children died while attending boarding school, and those are estimates, you know, so we need concrete numbers. Further, it would collect testimony from survivors, tribes, and subject matter experts, and do culturally appropriate public hearings, um, include institutional knowledge gathering, and then it'll create and disseminate a commission finding and recommendations that'll be shared publicly. And it'll be similar to how Canada has the 97 reg, uh, recommendations that came out of their commission. We expect to have the same thing, a list of um, how do you make Native people whole again? How do you address it as a collective um, from the federal government, local and churches? Right. So <clears throat> if, if uh, the country, uh, if, if the United States, um, you know, acknowledges it participated in genocide of indigenous people here, then they have uh, a legal responsibility, right? Absolutely. And we just passed a resolution at the National Congress of American Indians um, in Anchorage just a couple weeks ago. And it's um, the resolution is uh, um, requesting a United States proclamation that genocide was committed on Native children, families, and nations. So we have the bill in Congress, but then we're also asking the president um, 
to acknowledge this has happened. And then to acknowledge this has happened, you would we would hope that a proclamation is written with the sense that the Department of Treasury will be responsible for doing this. The Department of Defense will be responsible for doing this. The Department, you know, and holding all of the departments accountable, the cabinet, to how will they make um, Native people whole again? How will you fix the damage that you've committed? And some of these um, provisions and laws and policies are still in place today. So it's not like we're trying to address um, things that are impacting us. And I think that's the important conversation um, is that, yes, this began at the beginning of the creation of the United States, but it hasn't stopped. Okay. Um, what would be the incentive for um, political leaders, for Congress to take on this, take on a truth and reconciliation process? Yeah, the incentive is being on the right side of history. Mm. Um, whenever we look back in history and we look at movements, we look at um, social movements or um, huge political shifts or any dynamic civil rights, you know, those, those monumental moments in history that shifted the country, tribes have always been a part of that. Tribes have always been on the right side of history, and tribes have always had the law on their side. We carry... Like as Native people, you know, we're born inherent with reserved rights, inherent rights, treaty rights, um, you know, that are codified in proclamations and the Supreme Court, even though we don't try to talk about the Supreme Court these days. All of these things that we, the rights we have are solid, that it's not negotiable. And so um, leaders today have this amazing opportunity to be a part of this truth telling time. And the truth is that these atrocities were committed and they were funded by the federal government in conjunction with churches and in conjunction for the principle of taking land. And I think the Department of Interior's uh, report, Secretary Holland put out, uh, volume one, is historic in acknowledging the harm committed um, from the boarding schools. And they really talk about the taking of land. If you displace families, number one, and you take the children away, the families won't stay there. Number two, if you remove um, hunting and fishing, so you're no longer hunting and fishing to feed your children because we took your children, you're removing people from um, very healthy land. Again, more access to land. So the whole thing was land. And we, um, as Native people, address it from a cultural, traditional, spiritual, um, and, and losing our, our function as a family. But for the federal government, it was purely transactional. And it was purely for the intent of getting land by removing us and putting us in schools and then the family dissipating. And you completely destroy the family in one generation. And so um, we still see those impacts today. You see that in missing, murdered Indigenous women. You see that in the violence against women, the high suicide rate, the high number of early preventable deaths in Native people, which you can associate to trauma. Um, and so we are highly impacted um, still today from these federal policies. And so what a gift to be elected to know you can be the one to tell this story and tell the truth um, and make sure that it's not disregarded or overlooked. 
going forward. All right. So we're going to go to a break in just a minute here, but um, I want to ask you, uh, you already kind of um, listed a couple of things that the federal government would um, be responsible for in a truth and reconciliation process. But what are some other things that uh, the government would be responsible for? Well, really, you have to look at the the big picture. So um, there's lots of examples for this in the United Nation. When a country commits genocide against people, what do you do to make them whole again? And it is so much, right? So it's more than housing. It's more than adequate. It's fully funding your health care, fully funding uh, mental health, like those kinds of basic necessities that we need. Um But further, there was conversation that it was estimated $27 billion was spent to eradicate tribal languages. So we should expect that type of money to be put back into tribal languages. Every tribal language program should be fully funded um, by federal governments and churches. Churches shouldn't be held um, excluded from being responsible for this because in the law of 1868, when the federal government said, we will work in partnership with you, religious institutions, those religious institutions should have to um, pay back as well. And so it's um, holding people accountable for the atrocities that they have committed. And however that looks um, is huge in the sense of they did monstrous acts of genocide. Therefore, you have to, you can't just go, oh, we're going to do a couple thousand dollars and fund your youth program. Like that's not adequate. Got it. All right. We're going to go to this break. And after that, we're going to talk more about truth and reconciliation on a large scale and on a smaller local scale. It's a blessing when a big sum of money drops into our laps from per cap payments, settlements, life insurance or inheritance. Spending is no problem, but getting the most from that cash to stabilize your financial foundation and build wealth takes a bit of planning and discipline. Making the best from big payouts, that's on the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a -a one-of-a-kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes, healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking about truth and reconciliation today, and we'd like to hear from you. What does truth and reconciliation mean to you? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're also looking for your comments on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I'd like to bring in our our, uh, second guest we have today. We have uh, Lacey Kinnert in uh, Michigan. She is a program and operations coordinator for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition as well, and uh, an enrolled member of the Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of of Chippewa Indians. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Lacey. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. So how how do you get the uh, need for truth and reconciliation across to people, like on a, on an educational standpoint? Um, it's, it really is about educating people and spreading the word, visiting different tribal communities, and um, social media is a great one. But it's it's about educating and and also why we need to and why it's important to bring the truth, justice, and healing about this, and, and especially with the bill, the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding Schools Policies Act, that is going to fully move this forward and really help Indian country. All right. So your, um, your focus is in um, education and youth advocacy. Where do you see Native youth fitting into uh, truth and reconciliation initiatives? Well, coming from a school, I worked for a tribal school that was also a Bureau of Indian Ed school, and we need to start by making sure that these kids are being educated on Indian boarding schools. It's not common. You don't see it. It's not required to be in any curriculum um, countrywide. There are states that are working on on mandating that in their curriculum. Michigan just tried to mandate that, and it was not passed just recently. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have to start with education. And luckily, from my standpoint in, in my little town here for Hannaville Indian School, I was able to, to personally go in to classes and teach these kids, which ultimately planted seeds. And then now the kids that I, I was teaching are, are going to college and now they're doing something about it. So it's, it's, it is starting with the kids and, and, and then they can teach others and going from there. Um, but now that now they're involved in, um, you see other native youth on news news um, organizations doing stories on this, and it's it's so uplifting, and it's really going to help move this movement. Got it. So <clears throat> their involvement, their voice, um, and their experience. Uh, is very important to these processes of truth and reconciliation. Um, so just like you mentioned, uh, Michigan, um, uh, they they decided not to include the history of boarding school in their uh, curriculum. <clears throat> Do you see, you know, and, and that's part of a momentum in this country to not teach, you know, these parts of of history, these these um, historical, um, you know, acts and movements of racism in this country, um, and and you kind of went to it a little bit. It's it's a it's a hurdle right now. How how much of a hurdle do you think it's going to be in the future if we do have uh, an American truth and reconciliation uh, process? I think it'll only help. It'll help have, um, pave the pathway to including that. And it may even be part of the recommendations that the commission has in creating mandates of curriculum from the, the federal level. You know, that's also an option. And um, it'll only help in, in it'll, not only will it educate, but it'll also help these kids realize 
why their families are the way they are or why they have um, these traumas that are still lingering in their family. It, you know, it's all relating to boarding school. And when when they realize that, then they then the shame is taken out and it's it's more of a truth of while wow, this was inflicted upon us as, as people not something wrong with me or my family and that's huge it's it's a huge turning point in in these kids' lives i've i've seen it personally and when they know that then they can they can move forward and do big things and and help help with this and then help spread that across indian country Okay, you're talking about um you mentioned uh, trauma. Um you know, some of some of these boarding school stories, they are really really tough to listen to. I know when I'm producing a a show um around boarding schools and residential schools, like I, I, I there hasn't been a, a a show about that topic where I haven't like <laughs> just like you know, cried listen listening to these stories and reading these stories um, you know, to to produce a show about boarding schools and residential schools. So, um you know, it is traumatizing. They're, they're, these stories are tough to listen to, and I can't imagine like living through that and having that being part of your um, your personal history. Um, thinking about the elders, um, so you know, there's been some criticism uh, for you know. Um, criticism about bringing up the past and potentially uh, re-traumatizing uh, people. H- how do you address that um, at, the, at the coalition? We say it's not the past. It's still going on. It's still the present. And it's, um, it's not all that long ago. Uh, the general public seems to think like it happened hundreds of years ago. But no, we still have boarding school survivors here with us alive and it's still going you know the trauma and the lasting effects are still going on today the intergenerational trauma is still being carried on from generation to generation it is still here you know there there may not be indian boarding schools with the kill the indian save the man mentality but we're still dealing with the after effects of that and so it's just about you know it's it's strongly around education is where we come from where we stand as a coalition and getting it out there um you mentioned hearing boarding school survivor stories i i hear often in my role and it is absolutely horrifying these events that these kids were going through they were children they were babies and you know, it's hard to listen to, but it's not harder than what they went through. You know, in the work that we do, we do it for them. We do it for the future generations. We do it in honor of the survivors and the ones that are no longer here. And then we, we're doing it for the ones that are here where they're able to see the this movement going and and finally coming to light and finally being acknowledged by the United States government, you know, it's bringing a lot of healing to a lot of people right now. Right. And, um, you know, the work you guys do over at the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition is, um, you know, a lot of 
you know, what uh, I think a Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission would be focusing on. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of groups out there um, that are all about, um, you know, healing, uh, past traumas, um, promoting healing and well-being in the Native community. Uh, and, and there's also like small grassroots uh, groups that do this kind of work as well. Um, where do you see them in, um, in, a, in a truth and reconciliation uh, role if we did have a American truth and reconciliation process? Um, I think Teresa might be able to answer this question better. Uh, I know with NABS, we do want to spread and have more regional offices um, with, you know, within 10, 15 years of our, our plan looking forward, but she may have a better understanding on that. Okay, let's go to uh, Teresa Sheldon, uh, the Director of Policy and Advocacy for uh, the National Native American Boarding School Healing uh, Coalition. So, um, yeah, Teresa, go ahead and answer that question. Where do you see um, all of these uh, Native-led groups and and nonprofits and and, uh, down to, like, the smaller grassroots uh, groups fitting inside of a truth and reconciliation process? Ah, I think every single one of them has such an important role. I think it's super important to acknowledge our youth of today. Our youth of today are coming with like a no bullcrap mentality. Like we, we're not waiting our turn. We're not going to take our time. We want action and we want resolve right now. And so they're using TikTok, social media, advocating um, to congressional members. Like they are out there doing the work. We have seen such an increase in 501c3s and tribal-led organizations, grassroots organizations coming up across all over um, the country, which is needed because there is so much work to be done that if every single one of us are at a 1,000%, there's still work to do, right? So there's enough work for all of us to really um, aspire at our greatest level and work together through that. So it's not just one, but every single one of us um, working with a good heart and good intent for the betterment of, of our people and our communities. And that's what's going to make the change um, because we're coming from a place of um, no more. We're coming from a place of I'm not going to stay silent. The silence is what kills us. And so that empowerment and that boldness, and I will not wait my turn. Um, is so needed. We have been silent for long enough, and we have um, played to the masters long enough, and where we're like, absolutely not. And so you are seeing this transition in Indian country where we refuse less than, and that is the power that is going to bring us to where we need to be changed, Um, because we know where we come from, we know what we have, and we know what our ancestors have left for us to carry on. And we're just trying to do that work in a good way with good heart and good intention. And so uh, I believe it's really that's the change um, that's going to help us and being able to do it together. So there's so much space and so much room for every grassroots organization and every person who's like, hey, I want to take this up. Like, do it. Please do it. Um, Land back is so important. All the different movements that are happening um, really matter. And, and some people are like, oh, no, this is a bigger issue. That's a bigger issue. They're all important. Um, I'm not your mascot. Like all of these 
they're all intertwined together. And all of them are stating that we deserve the respect and we deserve to be treated like the um, human beings. And so that's just getting back to that full circle. Right. Um, so I wanted to um, also ask a question about, um, you know, where, where would uh, maybe like non-Native people fit in a process like this? I mean, why would it be important for, for them to pay attention to um, a, a truth and reconciliation uh, process that, that um, we're just seeing the beginning stages of like right now? Why would it be important for, for non-Natives to, to see this process, to maybe even be a part of it? Teresa? Oh, because allies are important. We have to have allies in this movement. And every every movement we've ever had, we've always had allies supporting us. And so there is plenty of room for non-natives to uplift. Right now, you can send in supportive testimony to the Senate Committee of Indian Affairs supporting S2907. And you can email it to testimony at indian.senate.gov. And you can send them your support. We have to have um, our allies speaking on this and speaking up about it and saying, yes, we need to be doing this. Yes, we need to be supporting this um, because we can't do it ourselves. And we, we know in a bigger picture, when every United States citizen understands the true and accurate history of this country, and as Secretary Holland says, Native history is American history, we all benefit from that. And so we all benefit from knowing the true accurate um, tales of the land that we're in and the homes um, of the traditional places that you occupy. So it's so important that we have um, non-natives standing up and speaking on these issues. And it's not speaking for us, but it's sharing the space. And um, it really matters, and it's really important. So there's so many ways they could be doing that. They could be donating to NAB. They could be donating to other nonprofits, okay. um, sending in testimony and tweeting, sharing out on social media. All of it helps. All right. All right, we're talking with um, a couple of folks from the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition today. Um, we are focusing on truth and reconciliation today. If you have a comment, um, if you have a question, um, what does uh, truth and reconciliation mean to you in your Native community? Are there truth and reconciliation movements happening on the ground in your community focusing on, on one um, piece of Native history. Give us a call and tell us about it. We are at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to go back to uh, Lacey here. Um, Lacey, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, the importance of this for, for you know, all, all Americans. Um, you know, how do you see this? Um, you know, how do you see, uh, you know, curriculum building around this? I mean, how does that even start? Like building curriculum for, for schools? Um, wh what is that process like? And, and who needs to be involved in that? Well, um, just using Michigan as an example, they do have a committee uh, that has been put together with various people throughout the state that include like um, Native American professors that also teach Native American studies, um, people, tribal leaders, um, people that 
non-natives that are um, in education. So it's like getting a group of, of like-minded people with the same goal in mind to work on this together. It's a collective. It's not just a one-sided thing because we need to have buy-in from other people to get things like this passed. And when you have everybody come together to work on it together, then it, then it, is, it works much more smoothly. Um, and as far as, as all Americans, we get a lot of emails from the general public that are non-natives, that are allies, that are just sharing and expressing their support, and they want to know the truth. People, people want to know the truth, and they deserve to know the truth. All Americans deserve to know the true history. And, and when they hear this about in, Indian boarding schools, they're just flabbergasted that, and, and upset that they don't even know about it. Right. Sorry about that. We're going to come back after this break and continue our conversation on truth and reconciliation. We'll be back. With over 40,000 organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. That's why AARP brings together valuable resources to help navigate veterans' options, including no-charge veteran employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, and access to discounts. AARP is on a mission to support veterans. More at aarp.org veterans. AARP supports this program. You've got attuned to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking about effective ways to implement truth and reconciliation initiatives in our local communities. As you know, the United States doesn't have an official Truth and Reconciliation Commission just yet, like in Canada, but there are a few smaller grassroots commissions doing the same kind of work on the local level. Interior Secretary Deb Holland's Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative aims to collect Native survivors' stories to help facilitate healing. How do you see truth and reconciliation helping your family and your tribe? There's still time to get in on this conversation. We are at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Indian Island, Maine, is uh, Esther Ann. She's on the board of directors at Wabanaki Reach. She's Passamaquoddy. Welcome to Native America Calling, Esther. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All right. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, so just like I mentioned, there are smaller uh, truth and reconciliation initiatives happening um, here and there. And um, one, um, you know, successful example I keep hearing about is the Maine Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Can you tell us about uh, can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, well, the story really begins back in 1999 when tribal child welfare ICWA workers and state child welfare workers came together to to create, a, it was a discrete project, create a day-long training for caseworkers so that they could better implement ICWA. And that turned into um, this, this work group, a tribal state ICWA work group that stayed together and created better policy, developed relationships, created a case review tool, 
and started talking about racism and uh, white supremacy and oppression. And in 2008, serendipitously, this idea of a truth, um, truth and reconciliation process uh, was introduced to us and we had the good fortune of having um, a relationship with Andrus Family Fund and the program officer at the time was Jill Williams, who was the executive director for the first Truth Commission in the United States um, in Greensboro, North Carolina, that was focused on the uh, Klan murder of five Labor Party workers and a demonstration in 1979. So we started in 2008 this idea to have this truth and reconciliation about what? What is the it? And <laughs> We uh, got commitment from the state folks and then the tribal folks. We just met, there's five tribal communities here and we together, um, we met for three years <laughs> to, to figure out what is the it? You know, what are we talking about? And do our own truth seeking work within our own group, which is highly important. Um, any, anything that we were asking Wabanaki or Mainers to do, we did ourselves. We had our own process of truth, healing, and change. And <clears throat> so in 2011, uh, there was a mandate that was signed, uh, I'm sorry, the Declaration of Intent was signed between the state governor and the five tribal chiefs. And then a year later in June of 2012, they, the mandate was signed and that laid out all the instructions and the parameters um, and even a commission selection process. And in 2013, uh, February, the commission was officially seated and they had 27 months to complete their investigation and they released a report with findings and recommendations in 2015. And so the role of this tribal state equal work group that, that convened this commission and, um, you know, got all of these signatories on board and educated we were in, you know, we've been through a lot of transitions. We started as this equal work group, and then we were called, we called ourselves the TRC convening group because we were bringing this truth commission to life. And when it was seated, we helped, um, we helped the commission fulfill their mandate by preparing Wabanaki and Mainers to, to share their stories, supporting them through that story sharing, through that and after, and educating people like the guest said uh, previously, very important to educate Mainers and Wabanaki people about what happened because it's by design that we don't know. It's on purpose that we're not supposed to know this. So, and you, you're absolutely right. Everybody has a, a right and a responsibility to know the truth and know what happened. And in our experience, um, people are upset when they, when they find out what they were supposed to know. So this, we, after the commission released its report, we kind of rebranded ourselves as Wabanaki Reach. And so the tribal state equal work group still happens. And then Wabanaki Reach is this organization that was created out of um, this truth healing and change process. And we are responsible for implementing those recommendations, the commission or for seeing, seeing them through. And we um, are a Wabanaki led organization. We're focused on decolonization. Um, and interestingly enough, I know the title of the show is Truth and Reconciliation, and the, our acronym REACH, the R, used to be Reconciliation, and we, we changed it to Restoration, because Reconciliation, um, 
we realized that restoration was really our goal. And, and I think one of the women said it, you know, to restore relationships, restore uh, relationships with each other and with the earth, because everything is tied to the land, taken of children, every strategy of genocide uh, that has been unleashed on us is tied to getting ownership of land and waters. So I think that might have been too much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, no, that's um, uh, that's very good. Um, you know, so so I wanted to know about uh, you know, some of the end results um of this commission uh, focused on uh, ICWA and child welfare there in Maine. Um, what 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 ways do you see that it has helped, or what other oh, ways? Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> con- it concretely, there were fourteen recommendations. And seven of those were really directly related to the Indian Child Welfare and uh, Wabanaki Child Welfare. And those have been taken up by this equal work group that continues to meet. And they've included things like, um, you know, additional education and support and training. And, you know, one thing I can say is back when we first started this, the training that state caseworkers would get about ICWA, out of six weeks of pre-service training, they'd have a half hour. Somebody would give them the law and an attorney would come in and say, do you have any questions? Um, now we, we meet with them for three and a half hours. We're in the fall, we are going to have a day long um, training for state caseworkers. And uh, I'll have to clarify that I have, I have a couple of roles here. I am on the board of Wabanaki Reach, but in my, my day job, I um, facilitate that tribal state work group through my day job. And in our training for caseworkers, we use REACH's um, education program, Interacting with Wabanaki Maine History, a, uh, a program we modeled after the Kairos blanket exercise. And we do that online. So on that concrete level, those recommendations are um, you know, being implemented. One of the first one they came out with was respect tribal sovereignty. So that is, that's everybody's responsibility. Right. And um, in tribal communities, what I, what I see is um, <clears throat> Executive Director Maria Gerard, uh, Director of REACH, talks about it. She says it very eloquently. She said, it's like our people have been walking around with this condition or this issue. And now that we know the truth of what happened and we understand intergenerational trauma, it's like we, we finally have a diagnosis and we can finally feel empowered to do something. And I think it's the same for for non-Native people, um, <clears throat> that, you know, the, the inhumanity of oppression and white supremacy um, impacts them too, whether or not they realize it. Mm-hmm. So in tribal communities, it, there's been a lot, uh, a resurgence and a re- reclamation of Indigenous ways of knowing and being, um, real, you know, talking about just this whole idea of land acknowledgement. I mean, Ten years ago, it, it was unheard of for anybody to get up and even acknowledge that this is tribal territory. Yeah. It seems so revolutionary, and and it's not enough. And um, the young people see that, like she said, and it's so true. And they they are pushing that. So in tribal communities, we have here in Maine, there, there's been this resurgence, a lot more wellness. There's a lot more wellness activities. There's a lot more. Um, you know, I was just talking about how wonderful it is to be Wabanaki right now because there's so many people that are paying attention. Um, we, there's filmmakers. We have 
Night of the Living Res, a Penobscot boy that grew up right here. He's got like one of the hottest books this summer. Um, it's just, it's really amazing to see that in spite of all of the <laughs> trauma and everything that has happened to us, we have so much of that uh, strength that was passed down as well. And we know what we need to do and to have the visibility and the validation and the space and the resources to do it is what we need. Mm -hmm. right. Reparations. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, um, um, you know, forward, forward moving here, but, um, you know, that, that uh, maybe can't come with some, uh, that can't, can't uh, come without some resistance. Um, did you guys experience any kind of uh, resistance on any of this? And how did you accommodate, um, you know, cri criticisms? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the number one is um, whenever, whenever there's any kind of change, uh, people are going are going to be afraid, and they're going to resist. <laughs> they're going to be upset. So yeah, there was resistance um, <clears throat> from a funny story that the state governor signed the mandate and agreed to all of these things, and then a few months later, once the commission was seated and the one of the commissioners happened to be the secretary of state, he got afraid because it that you know that's pretty legitimate, right? <laughs> the secretary of state's on this commission. So he sent out a press release denouncing the commission and saying he wouldn't support it. But in actuality, um, he didn't do anything different. He still upheld everything that he said he was going to do in the mandate. So it was just, you know, politics. And it's, it's the fear of, um, well, if we admit to something, then, then all they could think about was reparations. Because you, that tells you they're looking from it um, from their guilty point of view, basically. And there was pushback in tribal communities, too. There was some fear, um, a lot of fear about, you know, who are these commissioners? What are they going to do, come in here and take our stories? Because we've been so abused by researchers, right, and academics and you name it, filmmakers and people who want to write books. So we <clears throat> worked, uh, the commission worked really hard to um, go through vetting process in, in the tribal communities and, um, you know, go through, be scrutinized by tribal people. Rightfully so, mm -hmm. um, and it was it, that was a good process. And then when the commission, when they were chosen, there was some um, Wabanaki people who were upset that there that there was five commissioners, three were non-native, three were white, and two were native people that aren't Wabanaki. And I was really pleased. I wasn't even part of the selection process, so I was waiting to hear who got chosen, just like everybody else. I was pleased because. Um, I know it's so hard for our people to talk about these things um, with people that know them or might see them later on or, you know, are connected to their family somehow. So I was glad that there were Native people on there that could help bring that, that mindset and those, that worldview and those values into that commission process. And I was glad that they weren't Wabanaki because I think that helped Wabanaki people feel safer. Okay. All right. And um, did, do you now hear from other places, other groups, maybe even other states uh, that want to use, um, you know, your project as as a model? Yeah, we've we've um, especially since the pandemic, before the pandemic, we, you know, people would ask us to come speak at this conference or this or that. Mm -hmm. But once everything went to Zoom, it, the demand was really high. <laughs> and so I participated on I can't even tell you how many zoom calls or meetings and we're you know 
more than willing to share our lessons learned. Um, you know, we still <clears throat> we are still involved in truth seeking and truth telling, and we're uh, Wabanaki Reach now has a oral history project that's around the Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act, and because. It, you probably don't know, but there's been recent legislation to try to repair um, the harm that has this this uh, implementing act and the main Indian Claims Settlement Act has caused. But it's been in a legislative arena. You got legislators and tribal leaders, and the people haven't had an opportunity to share their stories. So that's where we come in, and we're doing an oral history project. Okay. All right. Um, I'd like to go back to uh, our other guests today. We have uh, Teresa and Lacey from the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Um, so Esther, just um, sh she mentioned the, the commission selection process. Um, let's um, talk about the, the future, I guess. I mean, who, what do you, what do you, what do you hope for a selection process uh, in the future if there is going to be a, uh, an American Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission formed? Um, uh, Teresa, let's, uh, let's start with you. Yeah, so actually, if you go to boardingschoolhealing.org backslash truth commission, mm -hmm. um, you can find the bill, or even if you just Google it, S2907, the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding School Policy Act. And in the bill, it outlines how a commission would be created and who would be a part of it. And it outlines um, multiple, like that it would include... Um, it would include boarding school survivors, boarding school descendants, uh, tribal leaders. It would include utilizing like National Congress of American Indians, um, the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition would be a part of it. And it outlines a whole plethora of people to be involved. Um, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of times the terms are excluding Alaska Natives. So they purposely put in Alaska Natives to ensure they're included. Mm -hmm. um, because by legal definitions, it gets all funky. Mm -hmm. But it really breaks down that list of who would be a part of the commission and how that would look. And it would include the Secretary um, Department of Interior, who is just phenomenal, her and her team. Um, I can hands down say the best Department of Interior Secretary we've ever had. <laughs> and so it, it lists all of those out of how, how it would happen, who they would be, how they would happen, and, and coming okay. together. All right. Thank you for that. That uh, went by so fast. Truth and reconciliation. Um, I'd like to say thank you to our guests, Teresa Sheldon, Lacey Kinnert, and Esther Ann. We'll be back next week. I'm Andy Murphy. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. <laughs> Chochikai tutunoka, 
Siemensart ikayut kang kahit kengalit mutsut kaitnik unamuk imirikina. Kanshut kimozvik mitalil ganas ngito bisari kuvit pagsuko healthcare.gov Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.